Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with Brett and Nate of the Don't Let the Scene Go Down on Me Music Collective. If you're one of the people who checked out that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it, and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home, and as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, today on the show, I have a very special conversation lined up for you. And this is my conversation from the Strip District Music Festival, which was recorded live at the festival, which happened last month. If you're not one of the almost 10,000 people that showed up to this festival, then uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what the festival was. It was an all-day music festival featuring all local talent from the Pittsburgh scene it spanned over 20-something music venues. They're not music venues. Let me correct myself. Just 20 different venues, some being music venues, some being venues that were converted into music venues for the day. And there was like, what, all over 150 bands that played? It was totally insane. And it was an honor to be able to sit down and do a live podcast in front of some of the attendees featuring a panel of guests who were all part of the festival as well. So yeah, I like, I don't want to talk too much because this is a long conversation and everybody who's on the episode is going to introduce themselves. So we'll get to that in a minute, but I got to do my own little public promotions real quick before we get into that. If you are new to the show, and, you know, just new to me in general or whatever, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Real Sykes. The podcast also has its own Facebook fan page if you're interested, which you can find at Start the Beat with Sykes. And you can also find Start the Beat on iTunes if you do iTunes and things like that, Stitcher, other podcast uh catchers i'm in there just type in start the beat subscribe stay up to date with what i'm doing and last but not certainly least start the beat is part of the epicast family which you can learn all about at epicastnetwork.com so yeah without any further nonsense let me bring you my conversation from the strip district music festival sit back relax and let's start the motherfucking beat! Alright. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to thank everyone for coming out to the Strip District Music Fest. Make some noise for yourselves. You did it. You came out in the cold. Good for you. And a big thanks to Maggie's Farm for letting us do this. I think, you know, I don't know if they know what they signed themselves up for. A bunch of shenanigans here today. Uh, 
Today on the show, I have way more people than I've ever talked to at one point in time. If everybody wants to just introduce themselves for the uh, people here and the listeners, we can start with Drew right here. Hello, Drew from Gene the Werewolf. How's everyone doing? I'm Palermo Stone from Rare Nation. I'm Dan Rock from World's Scariest Police Chases. Hey, I'm Max Kowalchuk from Nevada Color. And I'm Abby Krisner from Fist Fight in the Parking Lot. I'm Todd Porter from The Cheats. And I'm Sykes from Sykes. And uh, yeah, so today we are, you know, obviously all here for the Strip District Music Fest, which is a really, really awesome collection of artists from uh, all different genres of music. And this panel is actually a really cool representation of that. You know, we have people from rock, hip hop, punk rock, indie rock, kind of all over the board and uh, all ages as well here as well. There's some younger people, some older people, some people in the middle, blah, blah, blah. You get it. So I guess where we'll start the conversation is uh, we'll say, uh, Todd, Yes. how long have you been uh, active as a musician in the Pittsburgh scene? Man, make me feel really old. Uh, Didn't mean to single you out, buddy. It just, you know. 1981. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now I remember, I know that you were in a band called Eviction, correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right. My dad was an Eviction fan and he had uh, an Eviction tape okay. and I fucking loved that tape. So it's, it's, it's nice yeah. to talk to you. Yeah, it was because cool. Of this. It was good run that band and we were on Metal Blade Records and it's awesome. early thrash band in Pittsburgh, which is kind of cool. Definitely. Like four demos out and that record full length on Metal Blade and then we were dropped. But That's how it and, goes. And but now I guess they were re-releasing all the demos on vinyl. The first one came out or second demo came out last year. This one's coming out uh, Who Will Win? That's their first demo in uh, February. And Mike from uh Mind Cure. Mind Cure is putting it out and it should be out in February. So That's, That's awesome. Cool. So uh, has anybody else here had any sort of uh, experiences with uh, record labels and things like that, positive and or negative? Or what do we have to say about that? Anyone? Anyone? Dan? Uh, I ran a record label for a little while, Lock and Key Collective, and I would suggest not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good way to get rid of a lot of money fast. (laughs) Why is that? Do you think that had something to do with maybe the, the demographic of artists you were working with, the genre thing? Or do you think it's just business in general with music? Uh, Well, I did this really smart thing where I waited right until everybody started downloading music to start releasing Mm. a lot of music. So it was just the time period. uh, No, like really small label, really small bands, put a bunch of money into them. No one wants to buy it. Everybody downloads it. It was great. Sure. I think that's (laughs) something that that became really, really hard for a lot of rock and punk rock stuff because a lot of the people that listened to that weren't necessarily technology savvy. I mean, you still had your people buying like seven inches and vinyl, which now they're having this big resurgence of vinyl, but a lot of people never stopped buying that stuff. Sure. But it was a small number where you weren't making any money, dude. Yeah. I mean, we're on all my bands. We've been on tons of independent labels putting out seven inches. We never made any money. I'm, I'm surprised somebody wants to put it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Rather just throw your money out the window. I mean, it's... And on the, on the flip... Probably a better the, result. Yeah. On the flip, the digital thing, I think, was really convenient for a lot of younger people who were uh, taking in music and I uh, think like like a hip-hop fan base. You know, what would you say, Palermo? Yeah, I mean, for like... 
when we were coming up, it was I started out making music with Mac Miller, so um, I was like his hype man, and I wasn't really into it myself at the time, but I was just his friend, so I supported him. Um, and it was kind of the concept of you know just the way that like bands go out and they'll play like ten gigs a week to be heard. It was like let's put our music on the internet for free because like who cares? You know something will catch eventually, someone will hear it, um, and that's kind of what happened for it. So it was kind of like the same concept of going out and playing gigs all the time, even if, you know, you had to kind of waste some money in that process. Um, but for him, it just kind of really caught and worked out. Yeah, um, I would say it worked out for Mac Miller. <laughs> yeah, it worked out pretty <laughs> well for him. <laughs> Definitely. I know, I know um, Max, Nevada Color, you guys have a younger fan base as well, too. So how has that been for y'alls? We do, yeah. Um, it's been great. I mean, they're, uh, I think the younger kids are really, you know, they can be really hardcore fans. Like, we've seen kids coming out to 10 shows like in a row. Like I wouldn't even go see my favorite band that many times in a row. And they're coming out every single show a couple times a month, uh, which has been great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, getting on, we, we've had some good opportunities, uh, opening for Cold War Kids at Stage AE, um, playing with Tokyo Police Club and playing with Bad Sons at Ultra Bar. And those reach the younger demographics. So we've gained a lot of fans from that. Um, also doing stuff with the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership has been great. Uh, yeah, you played, guys played Light Up Night, right? Yeah, we played Light Up Night. We played at Picklesburg Festival. Uh, How was we, that? <laughs> it was cool. Not as many pickles as, as I thought there would be, actually. They were like, yeah, Picklesburg, all these pickles. And there was like, you know, one pickle there that you could even have. And it was like a dancing, big dancing pickle on stage. You know, I turned around and he's dancing behind me. I was like, what is this? When you were playing? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, our bass player's like jamming with him. And I'm like, what are you doing back there, man? And I turn around and see a giant pickle. Um, and yeah, we played uh, Rooftop Shindig, which was cool with Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership. Um, that's a really cool event that they do. They do a couple times during the summer. It's really cool that there's a lot. It seems that Pittsburgh is starting to support its local music scene a lot more than it did when I was starting. I don't know if you have anything to contribute to that, Abby. How long has Fist Fight been a band? Fist Fight's been playing since, uh, let's I don't know, seven years. I'm not good at math. But okay. um, uh, well, we were just talking we were, uh, a couple nights ago that we were thinking we were creeping up on seven. Um, and I was surprised because I think that um, I'd always been in bands that other people had started. So I was coming in later as a, a new member. And this was the first time that I started a band. And so I was like, no one's going to care about this. Because like that time in which I, I was able to get in front of people with that other band, like that's never going to happen again. That was that moment in the sun, it's done. And so I was floored that anybody came to CD release show, that anybody came to shows and that things kind of, you know, it's not like they took off like, um, you know, we got like a record deal or anything like that. But I think that part of the dream is kind of, satiated for us it was just nice to have people show up and like want to leave with a cd or leave with a t-shirt like that's enough for me right now yeah there's a and um a lot of cool venues and a lot more places i've noticed for people to play um with the exception of today i mean there's you're playing in a plant warehouse and all yeah, this we were talking really, about really that. wacky stuff. This is a really, really cool festival um, that's highlighting how much uh, the city wants to do or some people in the city want to do for the city. Um, Drew. Sir. I, uh, I heard uh, through the grapevine that you used to play in a band called Clearview Kills. 
Is that is this correct? This is correct, yes. I like that band. I didn't know you were in that band. Yeah. So you've been playing in bands for a fucking long time, yeah, too, haven't you? Not as long as Todd, but okay. <laughs> since, about, since about 1999. Okay. Yeah. So um, how would you say um, the scene has grown? And like, as it seems like it's been a roller coaster for me. I've been going to shows since I was like 13. So that was around that same era time. Right I there. think personally speaking, just things are a whole lot different. Um, just it, like uh, now in Gene, the werewolf versus Clearview. Clearview was um, like, go, 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 go all the time. Let's tour, get in the van. Uh, you know, Clearview did States tours. We've been to Europe. Uh, that whole nine, it was, just, you know, as, as balls to the wall as you could go with that band. And that was life. At this point, um, it's just... I think in your 30s, things change, and uh, you just have other responsibilities going on. So Gene the Werewolf is very pick and choose when we want to, not because we're good, uh, <laughs> but simply because you know we can kind of get away with picking and choosing when we want to play. I think this year alone, we've only, well, in 2015, we probably played like eight or nine times. Okay. Um, and we, <laughs> we just will like... Uh, very rarely we'll headline ourselves. We'll just try and, and play in a support situation. We've opened for hilarious people this year. Uh, Blue like Oyster who? Cult. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, one better, Brett Michaels. Um, oh. That is not real hair, by the way. Okay. From someone you, that was up, did you up like, close. Were you in the dressing room and you saw like the hair sitting on a stand? Like, I can't tell you how weird this show was. So we played Butler County uh, Fairgrounds with him. Okay. And literally 10,000 crazy people were there to see Brett Michaels. And he camped out in, granted, when he was around, he was a nice guy, but he camped out in this huge bus all night. And uh, he he had this thing where it was a meet and greet with him where you would spend like 200 extra dollars to meet him. Okay. There was like 150 people that paid $200 just to meet him for like two seconds. And now granted, I mean, what do you expect from the guy? But it's literally, hey, how you doing? Takes the picture and and leaves. And that, that was your $200 worth of this guy. <laughs> but so we're, we're doing a lot more weird, quirky things like that. Um, and it's just like, it's a different look than Clearview being, <laughs> I bet. Uh, you know, like kind of grinding it out mm -hmm. and, and just... D doing something different like that. Sure, I think there's something to be said about playing less shows too. Like we're all getting older every day. We're a day older, and as you get older, adult responsibilities start to take effect. And yeah, it's man, like, you own a house, and uh, <laughs> I don't and you, own a house, but especially <laughs> if, 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 you, if you have a if you have a regular job or you have a fiance or a girlfriend, husband, wife, um, what have you. I, I think it, there would be nothing less of a turn on than me telling my fiance that I'm going on tour. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, it, yeah, it just, it gets really, really hard trying to balance everything out. Uh, Dan, how are you with uh, balancing your uh, work life and your band life? I feel that, you know, you don't have maybe the responsibilities of some other people, nothing against you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I, I try to keep responsibilities to a minimum <laughs> yeah. for sure. So I understand what you're saying. No, uh, we don't play a lot either. A uh, couple shows a year, especially in Pittsburgh. Um, weekends, out of town, tops, you know, like I, I can't imagine us ever being able to do more than a week, two weeks tops as a band. And that would have to be like something really special to do. Um, I did want to mention that Later, after the police chase is set at Enrico's, we're doing a meet and greet. It's two hundred dollars. Uh, you can get a hug uh, and a photo for your Instagram. 
I'm going to jump in on that uh, just because I think there's also another layer to that for bands, and it's not just um, whether you're too busy to play a show, but as much as, you know, and I'd be interested to know what everybody else thinks about kind of cannibalizing your own market. You know what I mean? Like, if you play, if you're available all the time, like, is that better than being a special occasion, like being a band that plays, like, you know, like you said, it be like even once a month, it's it's still you know a little more manageable than playing every weekend or being on every single gig. Like, I wonder if it stays special for people or if you know hustling like that is a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for like for hip hop, it's like I think people try to play as much as possible. Um, something I've never done though, um, and it's kind of worked for me a little bit better because my shows sell out. If we do a 100-person venue, there's going to be 100 people there. If we do a 200-person venue, we can probably get 150, 200 people in there. Um, but that's just kind of like what it is. People are waiting for that moment. Um, and I think I have a really good live show. Um, I had a lot of practice. I was the person doing shows like every every single weekend, a couple times a weekend. But I just wanted to get really good at it. Um, and then once I felt like I was really good and I was getting really good responses from my shows, I just kind of pulled back a little bit. And then people started buying tickets and starting to come out and wanting to buy t-shirts and wanting to do the whole merchandise thing. And that was something for hip hop that was like, especially in the city, that was like, people weren't doing that. And we were like really excited. Like me and my friends were like, wow, we really got something. Like we're really filling these shows out like ourselves. We were booking our own venues and doing that and setting it up, doing the lights and the smoke and everything like that. And we were just like, dude, we can just do this ourselves. So we've been doing that for like a couple years and just like taking all the money from that <laughs> and then, you know, putting it towards other things and keep building and building and building. And we've been pretty successful with that. So like, I think a lot of people think that's the way to go. Um, but um, it seems like most people here, like in the circle, are just kind of, you know, kind of bringing that exclusivity to like every show. People want to come, want to see you. They want to do meet and greets um, because it's like because you're 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 there. Yeah, you're there, but you're not like accessible all the time. So um, it's something to be accessible on the internet. It's another thing to be accessible in person. Um, and I think that's kind of the balance that you have to fall into. We uh, have this problem where I don't know, because I guess because I've been around a while. I get tons every day of bands asking to play with us. And I'm like, dude, I can't play four times a month. Then those bands get kind of pissed off at you. They're like, oh, why don't you hook me up? I'm like, dude, I got, you know, a day. No lie, I get five bands a day. Like, hey, can we? Can you do this show? Can you jump on this show? A lot of it sucks. I mean, like, we pick, we try to pick and choose anymore. I mean, we want to do a show that's going to be good. And here we get these bands. Hey, come on in. I mean, especially like management companies get a hold of us. Hey, can you open for this band out of town that nobody knows? Can they? Can you play with them? You'll headline, but they'll get all the money. It's like, so you want my crowd to be there so they can? I mean, it's just weird, and it's hard to say no, but you got to. I mean, you can't play every, you know. Every request sucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one thing, I think, with being a person that's in a position that we are. You spend a lot of time just kind of letting people down sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's a bummer, but it happens. So um, outside of music and, you know, all this stuff, what's everyone into? Anybody have any hobbies outside <laughs> of uh, rapping or playing guitars or screaming in microphones? Any hobbies? Anyone? Palermo? Uh... It's kind of consumed my life, but um, oh. I try to play basketball as much as I can. Okay, uh, that's always like my first love uh, growing up. My dad um, played basketball. He actually went to the NBA for a real quick second, then he blew his knee out, and he's been angry ever since. <laughs> but um, 
so that's was kind of my first love. So I try to play like two, three times a week. Um, it's hard though. I have two kids too, so I have a two year old and a one year old. Um, and I just got engaged. So congratulations! Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, planning a wedding and everything too, and trying to get a house. Um, so those things are like yeah, we all were just happening. talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, she's more into it than I am, but uh, I'm just trying to make I'm just trying to make music so I can uh, afford it all. You better hope she's not listening. <laughs> so I can afford everything we're trying to do. But yeah, it's uh, you know I try to play basketball and uh, I work. So I work at uh, Apple. Um, so I do that. So not really into tech much, but I can sell anything. So that's why I'm there. All right. Well, hey, you're doing it. Any hobbies? Anyone else? Anything? Nothing really. I just own two businesses. That's all. I'm <laughs> yeah, tattoo. you own a tattoo shop, right? Two tattoo shops. Two, uh, two tattoo shops. Uh, Centers and Saints and Shady Side, and I own uh, Screaming Crow and Homestead, and we tattoo yeah. Mac and we tattoo Wiz and all them guys. Right. I got my first tattoo from uh, from you. That's why you look familiar to me. Uh, we, we all got uh, most dope uh, when we first created most dope. We all got it the same day uh, on, our, on our arms. Yeah, I actually got yelled at by Mac Miller's grandma. At, uh, I was out to eat. We were out eating one time, and she was, I guess she was sitting like next to us. She's like, oh, you have a lot of tattoos. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then my... My girl was like, yeah, yeah, it's a tattoo shop. She's like, oh, my son or my grandson Malcolm has tattoos. Mac Miller, did you ever hear of him? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we tattoo him down the shop. And she's like, don't, why don't you stop? He don't need any more. <laughs> That's really funny. Good story. Anyways, <laughs> no, um, so back to music a little bit. This is something I was really, really curious about. I'm always really interested in the concept of guilty pleasures and the music that people listen to that you might not expect someone to listen to. So let's say, uh, Drew, do you have any uh, guilty pleasures or things that you know people Th might This is terrible. Uh, Good. I was just, I was just talking. I'm not a subscriber to the guilty pleasure thing, right? Yeah, I'm not either. I think it's um, you like what you like. Yeah, but, but. but lately, um, <laughs> I just said this to my fiance last night in bed. I said... She she her rec, uh, CD player is like broken in her car. She drives like a two thousand two car. So all we do is listen to the radio in her car. And the new Justin Bieber song I I like. <laughs> which which one? The sorry one? No, oh, no there's another one. Uh, okay, yeah, it's like real uh, like house sounding. And then uh, I, but I, I I do like that song. But outside of that, I uh, I, I like in uh, middle school and high school just like punk rock and ska was my thing. So that's kind of still like my go-to. Sure. It's, it's pretty much all I listen to. Yeah. Which is like when you tell people that your favorite bands are like Less Than Jake and the Suicide Machines and Rancid, people are like, where are you? Like, have you not involved at all? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? But that's still just the thing that like strikes the, the heart chord, you know? Yeah, I think it's going to be funny for a lot of people who are coming up now who when they were 12, 13 were listening to stuff like under oath or like uh, those emo, my chemical romance and stuff like that. And they're going to be like 40 years old. Still like, I like my chemical romance. Right. We're, the getting, interesting, we're getting there. The interesting thing <laughs> I'm seeing with a lot of those bands right now is so uh, like, I don't know, uh, yellow card, right? Yeah. Like they'll come through and do these album tours. And because kids that like really loved them when they were 13 or 14 years old. Now, now they're like a $35 ticket at a big club and do this album tour. It's this huge cash grab for a lot of bands like the used and mm -hmm. story of the year and yellow card. And like, 
even the punk bands are doing it. You know, Rancid's doing Alcome the Wolves records and like that's it's Offspring it's, it, did Smash. Yeah, that was a, I actually went to that show. Um, but like I- interesting how how people are <laughs> figuring out how to make money out of the nostalgia factor. For sure. Know? Todd, any wow. guilty pleasures? <laughs> Or things we might not expect you to have on I don't your know. iPod. I'm, I'm a huge Cure fan. I don't... Okay. <laughs> Justin Bieber too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Abby, anything? Uh, uh, see, okay. So whenever I really like was finding that music was a passion thing for me, like I had to have been the most uncool fifth grader because every girl in my class had TLC crazy sexy cool and I was rocking out to Elton John and I meant it and I just like you know I, I didn't have anything to relate to so kind of what you said like where there's like no almost sometimes no such thing as a guilty pleasure um the in the sea of like now I'm listening to a lot of like Baroness and I always listen to Queens of the Stone Age and Failure and stuff like that. Um, I think one of the most impressive artists in pop is Sia. I'm kind of okay. I'm like yeah, slightly awesome. obsessed with her because there's almost I think what I appreciate about her is that I could see her if she had come out like in the early 90s she would have been like a Fiona Apple kind of figure sure. like they could have made her alternative and like you know she would have been a little more like grungy and stuff but I get that the pop thing is probably a little more uh, cash for her and that's cool but yeah, like still well, lyrically I think she's incredible there's a lot of work that goes into writing a pop song regardless of how yeah. simple it sounds it's really hard to write something that simple that is very very catchy and ear grabbing now yeah and her voice goes a long way to sell it but I think that's one of those things is that she comes off as not writing a pop song, and it's totally a pop song. And I, th- I don't know. I find that impressive. Definitely. Max, you're in like a pop rock band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. some catchy <laughs> tunes, right? I don't know. So I, what do you, what do you so. listen to that people um, might be surprised about? Well, I, I don't know if it would be surprising, but I've been listening to a lot of Top 40 stuff recently. Um, not necessarily by choice. I started driving for Uber, so I just kind of throw on the radio and give the people what they want, and that's the Top 40 stuff. So I've been listening to a ton of that stuff recently. Um, but yeah, there is some good stuff. Like Justin Bieber, you were saying, like, man, he's got this song with Ed Sheeran that's like totally, it's it's a total pop song, but like, it's all stripped down acoustic, but it's it's a rad song, you know? Like, so there, there are things that you can appreciate with that stuff, and I've been learning that because it's not really what I listened to before necessarily, but yeah, I guess recently just, you know, a lot of Top 40 stuff. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of pop music and digesting it more just from a I'm really interested to know how the song structures work and how you write a song like that. Because I want to make a better song, and those are good songs. But I want to make a better metal song or a better weird hip-hop song. I don't want to make pop music. I don't have the face and voice for it, unfortunately. Um, Someone who does, though, it would be Dan Rock, sitting right next to me, obviously. What do you like? What do you like, Dan? Uh, I think I'm Tell us. very much in the same boat as Drew over here. Uh, grew up on No Effects and uh, all the 90s embarrassing fat records and epitaph stuff. Uh, but every time I'm in the car now, I'm listening to Kiss FM, and I embarrassingly had that Justin Bieber song stuck in my head yesterday. <laughs> so, I, you I know, like I'll be I'm honest about it. <laughs> I think we talked about it last time yeah, when I was yeah. on your podcast. Dan, Dan's been on my podcast before, and I'm pretty sure we had a good 10-minute talk about Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, she's great. <laughs> she's killing it. <laughs> Making a million dollars a day. <laughs> you think that's how much money she makes a day? Uh, I saw an article. I don't know if it was true or not, but on that tour, she was making a million dollars a day. 
I feel so much better about saying see ya now. Like, <laughs> I'm so pumped. Me and Todd over here, like, hold it down. <laughs> Palermo, anything from you? I feel very left out because I don't even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> People are like, hey, you hear that song? I'm like, uh-uh. They're like, come on, really? I'm like, no, I don't listen to radio. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I think for me, I like... I've been very affected by the women in my life. So, like, every time I have, like, a new girlfriend, like, whatever she's into at the time. Um, so, like, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros is, like, really, really awesome band. Like, I love their stuff. Um, like, Home is, like, one of my favorite songs, like, ever. Um, so, like, that, that's, like, people will, like, I'll throw it on. And people, like, my friends are, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm just, like, dude, this song's awesome. Just listen to the words, <laughs> you know? Um, so, like, something like that or, um, like, Mayor Hawthorne. Like, I love Mayor yeah, Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, everything on Stone's Throw is, like, Every artist is pretty awesome. Um, so like, I, I just kind of listen to things like that, you know, kind of grab inspiration from that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you yeah. ever try to pull any inspiration from things outside of hip-hop and bring it into what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like any um, like black genre kind of started from pulling pieces from other things, especially hip-hop because we started out like sampling a lot of music. Yeah. Um, so like it's like a thing like anything else, you know, just the creation process of like the producer making the beat. Um, takes from sampling different other genres of music. I think you have to do that mentally when you're songwriting and things like that and kind of building the structures of your songs. So like for me, like I listen to like a lot of music and I was like, all right, cool, like I like that. So like, let me try to recreate that, but in a way that like my fan base would like be into Yeah, it, which know? can be really, really hard. And I think this can be said for the hip hop scene and the punk scene as well, where it's like, you want to bring in outside influences, but the amount that you can bring in before your fans start to get upset <laughs> yeah. with you is really, really hard. And it makes yeah. it a pain in the ass if you're somebody that's into a lot of different music mm -hmm. and you want to incorporate a lot of things into your stuff. Yeah. Right now, um, Drew, what's it like for you? Um, do you ever get the itch to be in a band like Clearview again? Like anything like that? Do you miss playing that type of music? Um. I would probably like want to be in something that like Dan's in more like world scariest cheese uh, police chases like <laughs> world scariest cheese chases cheese chases. <laughs> um, that might be more accurate. Yeah, it is, has a little bit of cheese to it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, but so does Gene the Werewolf. So yeah. I'm not hating. Um, but no, I, I mean, to do something fast like that again would really be be fun um, for me. I've I've actually like. Been in three bands uh, prior to Clearview. I was actually like in my first band was a ska band. Okay, <laughs> and uh, like just going back into maybe not ska, but doing doing like a Fat Wreck Epitaph early '90s punk thing would be really really fun for me. Yeah, I would love to have been in a band like that. I just never had the opportunity to. But, do but it. when we when we started Gene the Werewolf, it was the same thing. It was like because we did the like 2005. The idea started getting kicked around. Of um, all of our bands broke up. Clearview broke up. Um, John was kind of playing in Punchline at the time and wasn't really feeling it. And uh, the other guys were in the Berlin Project, and uh, that was kind of coming apart. And uh, we were like, what, what can we do that's just like, would be really fun and super different from what anyone else is doing right now? And it, it has handicapped us because we can only play with Brett Michaels now. <laughs> um, but... Uh, we were like, Let, let's start. Let's start like an eight, like an eighties rock band or seventies rock band. That would be awesome. So, uh, like that, and and this is still fun for me um, playing yeah. this this type of music because prior to the nineties punk stuff, uh, like growing my you know my dad we, like just all listen to DVE. That's all we did when we were kids, you know. So uh, as much of a 
of a different look is I would love to go now and do something punk. That that's what Gina Werewolf was at the beginning. So and it's still fun. So that's good. Awesome. That's that's the whole point is to have fun. A lot of people forget that when they're in bands, they forget that it. Don't we're doing this to have that. fun. If it's you're really, not having fun, man, show's over. Seriously. <laughs> exactly. Now, Max, um, is Nevada Color the first band you were in, or have you been in a uh, band? I, I was in a band prior to that. Um, it was more of a folk rock band, I guess. It only lasted for about a year and a half, maybe. Okay. Um, played around for a little bit, but yeah, we just, you know, I started writing different style songs. Not even that different, but more indie pop rock based than, than folk based, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, the bass player uh, in my band, Chris, um, he was in the band prior with me. Um, so yeah, we kind of started this new thing. We've been doing that, but I mean, you know, we've, I, I've been playing music for about 12 years now. Um, started playing trumpet in fourth grade and then picked up the guitar and a little bit of piano and stuff. My brother was a drummer, so messed around on that stuff. Um, but yeah, like in, in the Pittsburgh scene, we've only like this band now, Nevada Color, we've only been a band in the Pittsburgh scene for about three and a half years. So, you know, we're all relatively young and, uh, new to the Pittsburgh scene, but you know, it's been treating us well. How have you noticed the scene change just in the time that you started? So I think three and a half years ago, and maybe some of the people who have been more involved longer can notice this. I feel like around 2013 was when things started to change for the better. I feel like there's like this, like between 2009, 2012, it was like a really low point. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot happening. It was really hard to get on shows and play good shows. And it felt very, very stagnant. Yeah, I, I think a big part of that, honestly, um, is from Stage AE coming in. Um, you know, that kind of opened up the opportunity for the mid-sized bands to come in. And I think because of that, all you know, they're bringing in so many shows over there. All the agents for smaller bands that are playing the clubs around Pittsburgh, which we have a ton of, they see, you know, oh, Pittsburgh is now a market that we need to hit because all these other bands are hitting it. And I think from that, we've seen a lot more club shows, which has created an opportunity for more, you know, more shows for you to hop on. Um, so I think that's been, played a big part in it. Um, I was involved in the DIY scene a little bit. We ran a house venue for a while. And that is, you know, it's a great thing, but it's ever changing because people are graduating, getting out of college and leaving town. But um, I mean, that's still that scene is still going strong. Uh, there's a ton of bands playing, playing stuff there. Yeah, in, I in basements and stuff. I know, love I just, playing house shows. Anybody else here play house shows still? Not Anyone? Yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I, I do. I've kind of gotten to the point now where the past couple I've played, I'm definitely like the oldest person there, and it's <laughs> weird. It's it's really really fun, but it's still. Does that freak you out? Oh yeah, yeah. I just turned thirty this year. Okay. So I just, um, had, a, I just had a phone conversation with a friend of mine who said that a couple years ago he quit his band because he's like. Dude, he's like, when you're the oldest guy there, it, he's like, it's such a bummer. <laughs> it, it's really, really weird. Fortunately, I'm still making music that uh, can like appeal to people in my age range. Right. I'm not like in my 30s in a pop punk band. No offense to anyone that is. But you know what I mean? I feel like it's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that you guys are a pop punk band, but you know what I mean? Like... It's just so weird to me being in a band like that. But it's like, if that's what you love doing, then I can't, I'm not going to knock you for it. Right. Exactly. You know, what am I going to, who right. am I? Who am I to say that? I'm sure everybody has little examples of being made to feel older, which I, I don't know. I don't feel old. I'm older than you, but I don't, I don't feel old. But I remember uh, Fist Fight played a show, and I've always thought that Fist Fight um, was just kind of a gritty rock band. Like, I don't. I don't think we're metal. Some people would say that we are, um, and maybe that's just kind of maybe like a classic metal sound. Well, it kind of, yeah, thank you. So that's a, that's a that's a phrase now. 
classic metal. Yeah, no, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. Um, but we played a show at Diesel. I can't remember what it was. It was like some shitty like Sunday thing where like nobody was there. But all of the bands that we played with were a lot younger than us. And I think that we were kind of looking at each other going, how did we end up here exactly? But one of the um, guys in one of those younger band wanted to get a picture with me afterwards. So I did a picture with him. And somehow I saw it online and he said, check out Abby. She's in an 80s metal band. And I was like, the fuck is this kid? Like, how old do you think I am, asshole? So I was just kind of like... <laughs> That's awesome. We, uh, we did a New Year's Eve show a couple years ago at, at Mr. Small's with Foxy's The Jam and there was this photographer in the front row and he was taking pictures and then at, at, after our set he came backstage I'm the youngest guy in the band at 30 but we go up to 38 or 39 and uh, he came backstage and he's like dude that was rad and he's like remind me of being, being young and I was like oh yeah cool and he's like these girls behind me when your set was over they go dude that was awesome it's just like a bunch of old dudes rocking out <laughs> like dude what <laughs> old dudes come on yeah I, I my my favorite thing probably now is whenever I'm uh, seeing pictures of me after playing shows and it's like I've been feeling older I can tell how old a picture is by looking at my hairline in the photo and it's just like oh yeah and and my weight has fluctuated somewhat too, but eh, whatever. I'm having fun. I'm kind of waiting for you to step in and kick our ass. <laughs> I'm stepping Come back. On, this whole conversation. <laughs> it's hard. No, it's really weird because a, a lot of younger bands we play with always go, "Yeah, I know your kid. He's in you know." I know your band. kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, he's in this band. I'm like. Yeah, I'm his old man, so what, dude? I'm 52 years old, I don't give a shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, Todd, what's it like having a son that's doing music and stuff? How do you feel about that? It's really cool, man. I mean, I support every band he does, sometimes financially, <laughs> which is really stupid. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to, great band, they're good, yeah. Oh, we need like a couple more hundred dollars to do a demo. Sure, here. Whatever happened to that demo? Oh, uh, we broke up the next day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody else uh, funny parental support stories? Anything like that? Everybody's parents cool? Nobody? Nothing? Oh, I mean, my, my mom... <laughs> um, my mom's, like, super Christian. Like, okay. never heard her cuss or say a bad thing about anybody. And um, my music's, like, totally different, right? So, like, <laughs> um, I didn't let her know that I rapped for a while like she just kind of knew like i was out of town with my buddy like with mac and that was like cool because like i was just doing whatever i was traveling the world she's never been anywhere but like mckee sports so like that was like it so she's like yeah like my son's like traveling like telling her friends she didn't really know what i did she just knew i was like supporting like one of my friends music um and then i started making music and uh she works at pit and i have like fans like on campus and stuff like that and i posted a picture with my mom on instagram and then like kids were just coming up to her like, hey, you're Palermo's mom. Like, can I take a picture with you? And she was like, I, I guess. She like calls me on our lunch break. She's like, she's like, so you make music? And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, what do you sing? Because she's she's a pretty good singer. And I was like, I mean, I sometimes like on the songs. And I was like, but I rap. And she was like, she's like, you rap ab about what? <laughs> and I was just like, because I've always been a pretty good kid, you know. 
<laughs> so like um i was just like you know just like my life you know, my friends lives you know i let her hear some stuff um she so ended up like, getting a cd from somebody at school at at pit um she wasn't too happy with some of the content but um <laughs> she kind of knows everything i got into in life so talking about it she was just kind of like what if someone from church hears it, you know? And I was like, well, you know, they, they'll pray for me. <laughs> I mean, my parents were always supportive. Um, I remember starting out, we didn't have a place to practice. Practiced at my house. Mom and dad would make food. It was cool, I mean, all the time. And then one time, we were playing the electric banana. It was probably about 87, my mom and dad show up. My, my dad, I don't know where what he was thinking. I guess he's not uh, punk rocker. Walked in with a pair of leather pants on, <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my god, what are they?" And I, I remember running up to mom and dad's like, "You can't be here. You can't be here. You got to get out of here." Yeah. And John and Judy Banana. If anybody knows John and Judy Banana, they're total characters, great people. My mom and dad left. John and Judy sat me down and screamed at me for like a half an hour. Don't you ever do that to your parents, don't you? After that, I was like, okay, they can come anytime they want. They can dress how they want. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I, I guess I just want to be the only freak. I don't fucking know. <laughs> my parents were also very supportive, which I'm appreciating more now. Well, yeah, Todd knows my parents at this point. Um, but I was actually uh, 19 when I got a chance to be in the motorcycles. And I wanted to do it, but because I was underage, it was going to be a really big problem to play anywhere that they had already been playing for a while, like places like the pub. And then I think the Moose was a couple years in of playing music and stuff. Um, that my mom, and I, again, I, I guess I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was just so amped to play, like by any means necessary, made my older sister get a duplicate ID to give to what? me so oh, that, that I could go awesome. to the pub and have an ID. That is awesome. So I was, I was Amanda for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, after a while they did, they started coming to every show. And again, uh, Todd's right. He's definitely seen I them was before. always wondering how you got in there. I was just like, <laughs> I had like at least, I will switch mics here. But I, I had at least uh, like three or four bar owners that were really, really pissed at me when, oh, when I was I like, hey, I just turned 21. They're like, fuck you, get out of my club. Um, <laughs> I've been here for four years. Joel was really mad. The Moose was really mad. I was yeah, like, I was, always, I was always trying to figure it out. I'm like, oh, because, I mean, we try to get people in all the time. They're like, no. I'm like, well, you know me. I don't care. You're not getting, they're not getting right. in. I'm like, but I wasn't a squealer, so I'm like, oh, fucking Abby, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I saw, there was a band that I was in a couple years before that, and then I always employed the logic that if I acted like I was supposed to be there, that they would assume I was supposed to be there. Sure. Um, so I would always make sure, you know, I'm in really early with the band, and I was wheeling stuff in, and I would be kind of ballsy, like something I would never do today because I'm so anxious now. But like, I would just like walk in at that time, I guess I was like 17 and 18. I'd be like, can I get a Miller Lite, please? And like walk away. Just be like, if they, I'm with older people all the time. I've always been in bands with people who are um, either, you know, a couple years older or a lot older. And it always kind of seemed like, well, of course, why would they be hanging out with a teenager? I mean, come on. That's, I mean, that's how I got into bands, dude. I was like roadieing for a band. I was like 16, 17, roadieing for like some crazy metal band underground metal band in the like early late 70s early 80s going to bars and just like mm, just walking in with them pretending i was there and 
back then, I don't think anybody cared. Yeah. I mean, especially the places they were playing. So it was like a lot of places in McKee's or Ox, they didn't care. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, I'm ordering a beer. Oh. <laughs> and my parents were totally cool with it. I guess maybe they didn't think I drank. But as long as I got up for school, they were cool with it, man. I was rolling in like, you know, four or five in the morning, getting up, going to school. Didn't do that good, but I was going to school. <laughs> You're a business owner now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. fuck the haters, right? Yeah. <laughs> what was it like? Um, when did you decide to open up a tattoo shop? 1991. And what was that? Was was that after the eviction thing, kind of? Yeah, that was after that kind of. So that was sort course. of like a uh, I need to figure out something else to do. Yeah, or? I mean, I already graduated from the Art Institute, which didn't really do anything. You know, their idea was a job placement. If you worked at Wendy's, you know, they got you a job. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was horrible. So like, I met a bunch of buddies that were ta there was a guy tattooing in Pittsburgh. He ended up being on Miami Chris Garver. Okay. So he kind of showed me the way, and I had a buddy who was in a band in Cleveland called Integrity, uh, Dave Araka, who was went to the Art Institute after me, started tattooing too. So we kind of, back then, nobody would give you a break or anything, man. There was three tattoo shops, and they hated everybody. I mean, if you rolled in there and trying to ask questions, you'd, you'd get your ass beat and thrown out the door, you know? <laughs> if you went in there and got tattooed and tattooed and tattooed and tattooed, maybe, maybe you get a little taste of something. Back then, there was no internet. There was nothing. You had to find out everything. So I kind of, we kind of bounced around stuff. And Garver was really good. So like he would tell us stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe I need to do this. It's funny because, order. yeah, you said there was three tattoo shops. And yeah. now there's three tattoo shops on every block. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's like that's, uh, supply and demand for everything is really, really I mean, getting crazy. Yeah, when like, I got into it, it was, it was, you know, now it's more like, Hey, uh, you know, your normal people weren't getting, wanted to be tattoos. You know, you're, you're, you know, the parents were like, Oh my God, you're going to be a tattooist. Uh, now it's like, Hey, oh yeah, that's cool. We see it on TV. You know, <laughs> here's money. Go open unless a shop. You're Mac Miller. You know? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Mac Miller. His grandma. Is not cool. Yeah. It's not cool. <laughs> I mean, with his grandma, his yeah, grandma's yeah. not yeah. The, uh, everybody else is cool. But uh, something to be said about like the oversaturation of tattoo shops and music, maybe Palermo, what I'm thinking is like how many friggin' rappers there are in the world and what's yeah. it like kind of cutting through trying to um, be shown? Yeah, I mean, everyone raps. Like even like like my neighborhood, like, grow, like where I grew up at, like literally everyone's a rapper or a producer because like, that's like... like yeah, for, Drew, for a lot Drew of people, raps. Abby raps, well, For right? like a, a lot of people, it's like, you know, we don't... <laughs> Like even growing up in school, like my teachers would tell me, and I was like really smart. Like I like never got a B until I was like seventeen, right? So like, but my teachers would be like, because I'm from where I'm from, like nothing was attainable, you know. So like for me, it was always like something where like I wanted to play basketball because that was like the way out, you know. That's like what I've seen people do. Like my uh, gossip was Swin Cash. He played in the WNBA. Like my dad went to the NBA for a second. So like for me, like it was like, all right, yeah, well, like. Whatever, like I want to do well at school so I can go to college, so I can like get everything paid for. If I get like half a scholarship from sports, half a scholarship from um, from academics, like I can go ahead and do that for free. You know, that'd be the ultimate thing, and then you know try to go to the NBA. But like music was just kind of the other thing, and I never even wanted to do music. It was just kind of something that happened when I was a senior in high school, and I was like, what the fuck do I want to do? Like. Everyone's like applying for colleges. I don't even know the first thing about that. Like my counselor was like, go to CCAC. I was like, I want to go to a four year. Like, why would I do that? And like, I was just like, well, what do I do? And I wrote poetry anonymously in like our school 
magazine. I didn't want anyone to know I did it. Oh, really? I was like, oh, it's kind of stupid. What, what were you writing poetry about? Um, just like everything. Like, just kind of like, I was doing like parodies. Actually, they were pretty popular because I was doing parodies of parties. So like I would go to a party and then I would do like a parody to like, like um, the night before Christmas. So I did like the night before Halloween because it was like a party. We had a Halloween party. Okay. And like everyone was drunk. So like night before Halloween, like all through the house, not a creature was sober, not even a mouse. So like I was just like kind of doing so things So that like was that. in the school paper? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were, like, they were they okay it, with yeah, that? Yeah, let it go through. Yeah. Because my friend was the editor. So like we kind of just did it. Uh, but I did it anonymously. <laughs> so like for me, like something that just happened and then I started making music and then like my close friends were like, dude, you're like good at that. So for me, it was just kind of something that came naturally, but I feel like everyone's doing it because it's like something to do. Uh, they see, they come to shows and they'll see like, oh, it looks fun or, you know, we're getting attention and people are taking pictures of us. We're getting more likes on Instagram or, you know, just like stupid that's stuff that like doesn't now. matter. It yeah. doesn't matter to me, but like, that's what people like look at. They're like, oh wow, like I can't get a hundred likes on Instagram. So like he does, so he raps. I might want to do that. And I've had people tell me that. And I'm just like, no, nah, dude, like do something that's like, you know, like, and I tell people that all the time. I don't like over encourage people to like make music. I'm just like, dude, like if it doesn't work for you, don't do it, you know, like, cause you have a gift. And when it comes naturally, it'll be your it'll be your thing. So like, just wait for we, that. We used to get people coming in all the time. I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. I want tattoos. I want sleeves. I'm a rapper. I'm like, yeah. Can they want they want to okay. look? Yeah, they, they want to look like a rapper. Yeah. They want to do all that stuff. And I'm it's like, just oh, yeah, like, that's, that's cool. Yeah, and it's something that just kind of comes, you know. But like, everyone makes music. So like, f cutting through the fat and cutting through like some of the bullshit is like. You know, and it's hard. It really is. And you can't even, there's not, not even PR people that are not going to just like set you up for failure because they just want your money over and over every month, every month, every month. And I see it happen. Um, but they get you a certain level of exposure in the moment you don't want to pay them. You kind of fall off the internet altogether, which means oh. you fall off the face of the earth yeah, altogether. Yeah, it's really, really hard. I think the only way to really be sustainable in 2016 as an artist is to be as in, like DIY as possible, yeah. handle as much of it as you can, which means you need to have all of this social media and blah, 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 blah. So it's like, okay, now I need to have six different social media profiles <laughs> that I have to uh, manage. And each of those social media profiles cater to a different aesthetic of like human behavior. So then I start, I feel like a bipolar person sometimes <laughs> or like a schizophrenic trying to like post things that uh, like, what, what, what are the people on Twitter going to engage with? And what are the people on Instagram going to engage with? And then I'm like, why can't I just make music? But it's I don't like where, where I am right now. It's like, I know I'm never going to sell a million records or do whatever. I'm happy with what I'm doing. We play shows every once in a while. We get offers to do shows out of time. We get offers to do big shows. We go to Europe every year. I'm happy with that, man. You know, we got somebody to put our record out or put our CD out. I'm totally cool with that. I, you know, sure, but you know, I mean, you worked cool for it, shit. though. Yeah, but it's you know, it never happened. So, but I'm happy with what I'm doing, dude. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I was the social media thing. Just to go back to that, I think that can be like a wormhole uh, because. I, and I have to do it more for work than I ever have to do it for the band. But actually, a lot of the band members just jumped off Facebook. They're like, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore because it's just an echo box or an echo chamber, rather, um, for a lot of unsavory things. And sometimes sure. it does. It, it can kind of give you an illusion that that's how the world really is. So they've all been doing kind of some like mental health like rehabilitation and just saying, I'm not fucking dealing with Facebook anymore. So it's only me. And now, and the other thing the bands deal with is your reach. 
on Facebook. So if you put something out, it's like, nah, you fucked up the algorithm. You only have 17 people who saw this. And you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. So I think kind of to your point, it can it can de- make you feel devalued as an oh, artist yeah. when you're not, you know? Yeah, just- you have to like learn like things like algorithm. I never used the word algorithm in my <laughs> life right. until Facebook was asking me to pay for things. Right, and- which that's a bullshit thing too. You know that, right? The, the pay thing. So Facebook does this thing. I looked into it because I was wondering the boost your post thing. They they will boost your post, but who they will boost it to is very um, ambiguous. Oh yeah. So people in India might see it. Cool. Oh yeah. Well, they're not coming. I, they're not coming to Plantscape Warehouse today. <laughs> what I noticed. What I noticed with actually, cause I did. I experimented with it with both um, the Sykes Facebook and the Greywalker Facebook. And we started doing boosts for like $5 a week, $1 a day. And these posts were getting a lot of traction. Like right off the bat, it was okay. Like we're getting something from this. And it was people that we knew. It wasn't just like people from India, you know? (laughs) And uh, I was like, okay, cool. Like this isn't a bad investment, I guess. It's a little weird, whatever. But if we have something important, like where you have a show or something, let's boost the flyer so people see it. And then the numbers started going down after so many boosts. And it was like, okay, well, let's try, what was that? Let's try 10, (laughs) let's try uh, $10, let's increase it. And it boosted back up and then it got back down. And then like my most recent thing was I did a Sykes boost for 20 bucks over the course of two weeks and the engagement on it is like not even 200 people. I, no wonder why it's, we're huge in India, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really, 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 really gross. And that sucks because now you're like chasing the dragon because you yeah. kind of like know well, that I'm, you can get oh, it. Oh yeah, but. I'm done with it now. After that, it's it's I get it that you know Facebook is a free site and you they're giving us all this opportunity for free to you know put stuff out there and pay for a service. That's fine. I can do that. But if I'm going to pay for a service and you're still not going to fucking give it to me, then I get pissed. Yeah. It's the same thing like with freaking Android phones now. It's like you buy a phone, it comes with all this bloatware on it. And it's like there's all these ads all over the place on my phone. It's like, can I just check the time without seeing an ad for like Angry Birds or whatever the fuck this is? Wow, I get really upset about smartphones. <laughs> Sorry. Up, yeah, I mean, um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as like, I mean, all that stuff too. I just, I've always gone by the 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 rule that you need to have tangible things to to kind of gauge like where your actual success is at. Oh, definitely. Um, so like, like my friend, like they just like you're not on Facebook enough, you're not on Twitter enough, you're not doing this and that. But like when I go outside, like really outside, and people are like coming up to me, like, dude, I love your stuff, or I'm having conversations with people, like, dude, that song changed my life, or like, you know, this and that. It's like, dude, that's like the, the important oh, stuff. Yeah. Like if someone says it on Twitter, I don't even believe them. Like I don't even know if they're real people. Oh, definitely. You know? you know, I was in an Uber yesterday and the driver was like, you know, what do you do? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I was like, somehow I got into it that I rapped or whatever. And he was like, oh, you rap? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'd like to check out yourself sometime. And I was like, here's a CD because I have one on me. So I just gave the driver a CD and then he put it in the car. And like listen to my music in the car. He's like, this is cool. And he's like, I have some friends that rap, blah, 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 blah. I was like, I'm sure you do. But maybe maybe they do rap. You know, it's hard. I have the best uh, cab story. Okay. <laughs> so uh, like three or four years ago, um, DVE was spinning Gene the Werewolf on a regular basis. And I got in a cab in Bridgeville to come downtown. 
And it just so happened that they played Gene while I was in the car and the guy's listening to DVE. So I say to him, hey, man, like, I don't really ever get to say this, but this is my band right now on the radio. He's like, no way. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, for real. He's like, dude, he's like, the house I picked you up at, you pay for that with this shit? I'm like, no. No, I do not. No, but he... He's like this awesome like 50-year-old dude and he's like, dude, I gotta call my wife. He's she's like, no, no, she's never gonna believe this. And like I was like, okay. <laughs> so he gets on the phone, he's like, hey, listen to this song. And he like turns it up and he's like, you hear this? And she's like, ah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm with the guy right now that wrote this song. And like that's not even true to begin with. <laughs> but but he was like geeking out because it's my band, and he dropped me off. He's like, "Dude, you should you should call me if you ever need rides." I'm just like, oh. <laughs> like, dude, it's not that cool. <laughs> but that's that's my cab story with uh, being on the radio. Hilarious. There's a there's a fun allusion to being in a band that I think that we probably all forget about because we spent so much time behind the curtain for like the normal person that goes to a show and thinks it's like this huge, big thing. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to be attending the festival today that probably think every show that we play is like, the venue's packed and there's all these people. And this is like a very rare circumstance being, you know, local musicians. I mean, ex- I mean exception of you because you play for Brett Michaels. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why we do that, man, because you got to like safeguard yourself to a certain respect. And all of you guys have kind of shared that sentiment. If you don't, then you get in these situations where you're bumming each other out like oh, a yeah. Sunday matinee show at Diesel with right. 30 people. We've done that. Everyone here has. That stuff is terrible, you know? And it's just like, that's what has kept this band off the road it, for the most part. It's because when you're out, you play Cleveland, unless we're going with like, you know, the Clarks, then we, we don't do it, you know, because the, those guys will bring out a couple hundred people. But otherwise, it's not worth it. You go up there, lose money. I mean, other than hanging out with your friends and having a great time, which that's what it's always about. If the show's going to be banging, we'll go anywhere for no money. But otherwise, it's like, it's such a bummer. And, and you're right about tonight. It will probably be special for everybody, but that's because it's free, you know? How yeah. do you get these same people to come back out and drop $10, $15 to see you? It's, that's another thing that's a... Uh, it's hard to get people to drop five bucks I know, to see you. Like, I know. It's like... It's fun hours. I'm like, dude, the shows in the 80s were five bucks. It yeah, never went up. <laughs> and then now it's seven. They're like, oh, seven. You know, I think it's it's really interesting how difficult it is to get people to contribute to the arts. It shouldn't be as hard as it is, but for some reason, it. I don't know. Max, any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I, you know, you're, def- you're a younger with, guy. Yeah, yeah. What, what I, are the kids doing? I, I don't know, man. That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> smoking that weed. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Tell us what your generation's up to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I think there's definitely uh, the arts are, you know, definitely devalued, and I think a lot of that is due to the internet um, and due to sort of my generation coming up. How we got music from the internet was we just went on LimeWire and fucking downloaded it for his free. Fault. Let's get him. It's all my fault. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I did that shit. You know what I mean? Because you didn't know any better because there was no one educating you. Like, hey, someone put in a lot of time and effort and money to create this, you know, five, five minute thing that you're going to listen to. And uh, yeah, there was just never any kind of value instilled, I think, in my generation uh, in general that you need to pay for this because someone put in all this time and effort to, to create it. You know, and now being on the other end of it, creating that, I realize that, um, but it doesn't change the fact that I think the mentality is yeah. still the same, um, and it's 
well, you know, sure, for yeah. us, it's about trying to find other sources of revenue, you know, to, to you know, and, and just saying, you know, the music is the most important thing and always will be, but trying to make money from that is sort of unrealistic yeah. uh, to just do that totally on its own. And that's why we go and play shows and we, you know, sell merch and do all those other things. And I think the more uh, revenue sources you can create, the better. And just accepting the fact that you're probably not going to make money just from selling music, um, you know, you, you just you just got to realize that. And <laughs> Drew has DVE paying his mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, st I'm still weird. I still like to have the product in hand, no matter what. Oh, I mean, I just yeah. feel really weird. I'm like, my kid does that thing on Xbox where he's buying stuff online. I'm like, dude, what are you buying? You're buying something, and you're not even buying it. It's, it's like, do you have it in your hand? No, it's in the cloud, wherever, somewhere. But I'm like, I still, to this day, I if I buy something, I gotta have a, a hard copy in my hand, no matter what it is, you know? And that's why probably I, I need a bigger house now. But, <laughs> you know, thousands and thousands of CDs, thousands and thousands of records, but it's like, I have to have it in my hand. You know? What was the first record you ever had? Or like maybe the one that changed you, that turned you into the Todd you are today? Kiss Alive one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it when it came out. Like I, I was a weird kid, man. I hung out with like dudes that were like older. Like I was in sixth and seventh grade and I was hanging out with seniors. Okay. So it was really weird. I guess my parents were kind of like, I don't know, back in the day, I guess my mom was hot, so all the dudes liked to come to my house. <laughs> and I was just like, why do these high school dudes want to hang out at my house? You know? I think my dad smoked weed, but he never fucking told me. You know? I remember seeing like little roaches one time. I'm like, what is that? But like, I guess they were like the cool people of the neighborhood. Okay. So, pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, I was always hanging out with older people. You know, I'd, I'd start hanging out with their brothers, and their brother's like, oh, let's do it. I was like, oh, that ain't cool, dude. I'm going to hang out with your brother and listen to fucking, you know, music and shit, you know? Always into music. Played drums when I was little in like a marching band type stuff. And I had really long hair. And it was, I was a freak. Like, we, we used to go to this, our competition every year in Notre Dame, you know, playing this big competition. Yeah. And there was a headline one time, how does girl drummer beat those drums so hard? Because I guess they uh, thought I was a girl because I had really long hair. <laughs> but, you know, I'd always hang out with, like, seniors and shit. And, like, there was always dudes like, hey, man, check out this Deep Purple record. Check out, you know. And then when I saw Kiss, I was just like, oh, my God. These dudes are superheroes, man. Yeah. So I remember when the first Kiss, they, when they came out, I, I saw that tour, Kiss Alive tour, and I went and bought that record. And that was. That was totally it. After that, I was a fucking freak. What about you, Abby? This is why I love Todd so much. That's the album that changed my fucking life. Okay. Um, because I was trying to figure out musically, like, kind of where my voice was. So I did start off with a lot of classic rock stuff like um, Elton John and Yes and, like, Duran Duran records and be like, this is cool. But I started as yeah. a piano player. And then I started thinking, like, all right, I'm never going to get in a band if I play piano. So I should be a drummer. And I started playing a marching band. And then I bought a drum kit and I was a drummer. And then um, Kiss Alive which stumbled upon from my sister's boyfriend at the time. He was really into it. And it was the same thing. I'm like, these guys are fucking from outer space. And like, and I think it was right around the time when Kiss was um, doing that first reunion tour, the first yeah. run of it. And I got to see them. 
And I was like, this is fucking everything I ever wanted to do. So I sold the drum kit, bought an amp and started borrowing uh, my sister's boyfriend's guitar and started learning everything on that record, which is why I still can't solo with my pinky because Ace Frehley is did. terrible. So that's, <laughs> that didn't help me out a lot. But yeah, that was mine too. I can, uh, similar, my, the album that changed me was also a live rock album, but it was Iron Maiden's Live After right. Death. Was the one that uh, I still actually have the record that my uncle had when I was like five, like the same record that I remember. Like I was just like a little kid, and you know, like the record just was huge because like came like this whole booklet, just like looking through it, and the whole. There was like a VHS tape too that he had, and I remember like (laughs) watching it and just wanting to be Steve Harris so bad, just like it was so larger than life and awesome, and it just yeah, it just made me want to be a live musician. Look and the, now I'm a rapper. Look, look what, but whatever. The look of bands always like made me like, oh my god, it looks like a rock and roller. That's what I mean. That was, you know, that's what drove me there. You know. Yeah. Now uh, Palermo, you were mentioning that you really weren't super interested or doing music until like high school or yeah. anything like that. But were you involved in just like consuming music? Yeah. I then? mean, like my um, my uncle, he's a good like New York all the time. So he had a clothing store in McKeesport. Um, so he would go to New York and get his clothes and then, like, sell them here. Um, but, like, when I was probably, like, seven, like, in 96, um, he brought back a um, Jay-Z Reasonable Doubt uh, okay. album. So, like, I listened to, like, like, I heard Biggie, I heard Tupac, stuff like that. But it really wasn't, like, I never connected with it. Um, but then, like, when I really sat down and he, I went to New York with him and we came back with a CD and he played it in the car. And, like, just, like, kind of the, the opening parts of it like it's like dun 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 and I was like dude this is like vibing like you know it was like different hip hop than I had heard before so like for me I was just like listening and then he was like talking like that was the first time I was ever out of McKeesport and I went to New York so this is like the first time I've ever even ventured out like outside of like my neighborhood really like okay my school was in my preschool was in the neighborhood my school I was on the school bus my mom didn't have a car so like we literally, I went, I lived in my neighborhood and then I caught the school bus to school and back and that was it for like the first seven years of my life. So for like me to do that and then I was going back to my neighborhood, it was like this dude's talking about the world, like it's like it is in my neighborhood everywhere, you know? So like, I was like, wow, this really opened my eyes to like, you know, there's a bigger world than just like my space. Um, and then I started listening to more music and I'm like, dude, it's like, these people were talking about their neighborhoods, their lives and things like that. And I was just like taken back by it. And I was like, I, I kind of want to do that. But I was always scared. So like, I just like didn't do it. And then when I got older, I was like, now I have some stuff to talk about. Like, let me start talking about it. You know? Yeah. Dan, I feel like I'm not talking to you a whole lot. Cause it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all like, well, he's been on the show before and it's like, man, we've already gone through a lot of this stuff together. Yeah. But I think- hey, you know, we haven't, you don't, maybe these other people here don't know. I think we might have touched on it, but yeah, I had the older brother that I I didn't have, I didn't have the chance to have a change your life moment. I was, before I knew what music was, listening to Minor Threat, Gorilla Biscuits, Half-Life. So it was, this is what you're going to be. This is what you're going to listen to. And I was like, yeah, I'm down with this. This seems fine. (laughs) Yeah, it was the same thing. Like my parents were super, super young. They were like 17 when they had me. And my dad was just crazy into thrash and all that stuff. So it was just like... As a kid, just here's Anthrax, here's Megadeth, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I like. And then uh, as I got 
a little bit older. It's like, I think I went through that same thing that everybody in fourth grade at my age went through where it was like Green Day was the coolest thing in the world. And then like I got a little sad and started liking the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> and then like so, through some evolution, I ended up just liking everything now. Yeah, I remember uh, starting to like try and find my own stuff. And I was like... I, I hear people talking about this Offspring band. I'm going to check that out. My brother's like, nope, here's no effects. <laughs> <laughs> Similar, but well, much better. <laughs> I remember the first time after like a very, very long time listening to Iron Maiden again. I was maybe like 13 or 14. It had been years. And like it just like this wave. It was like the first wave of nostalgia that I can remember. Like, oh my God, this is so good. And then from there, just off the rails as far as everything with metal. True. Anything for me? Uh, first record? Yeah. Um, it was Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Um, remember, like, whenever you used to get, like, five CDs for a penny? Yeah. Those, yeah, the Columbia House yeah, or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, like, my parents had that, and they're like, here, you could pick any record you want. And much like you guys, you know, I had older cousins and stuff like that. And that's what kind of turned me on to that. Like, I can't even imagine my dad. We talk about it a lot because music was super important in our house. My dad was always the rock and roll guy. My mom was like, Michael Jackson, Earth, Wind, and Fire, which all that stuff rules too. But um, yeah, yeah, I was like, I want that Guns N' Roses record. I don't, my parents are like, what are you talking? Who are you? You're six. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I got that. And then like, but that never really inspired me because like you guys, those guys seemed larger, larger than life to me. That was just like, well, this is something that's untouchable. I'll never play guitar like Slash. I'll never be as cool as Axel. Uh, like none of this is ever going to happen for me. And then punk rock happened and i was like oh i could i could definitely play those three chords i could do this you know uh, which is why gene the werewolf needs a fill-in guitar player to play all these 80s rock solos <laughs> because john and i are from the same world this punk rock thing where no we don't we're not good guitar players so <laughs> we actually have like a session guitar player play all the really hard parts live uh for us <laughs> so so damn music but yeah that was my first record. Gotcha. What about Max? Uh, first record? Yeah. Man, um, you'll maybe be surprised to hear it. Uh, Nellyville by Nelly. Okay. First yeah. CD I ever bought. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that is definitely a surprising answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I grew up listening to a lot of hip-hop and stuff like that, uh, you know, just from the area I'm from. Um, it's just kind of what we listen to there. And, okay. You know, uh, seeing so me now, that, was, I would, you wouldn't think that I'm from where I'm from, but um, yeah. Where are you from? Manesson. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was the, the Nelly thing like for you? Is it just like, this is what everybody's <laughs> listening to and I need a CD? Yeah. I don't know. So man. like, what was the first thing that, I'm not saying that you don't still like Nelly, <laughs> but that's me so back to the guilty like pleasure Nelly. thing <laughs> too. Yeah. <laughs> what was maybe one of the first things that you heard that kind of distracted you away from that? Yeah. It was like I, your well, first like music discovery. Yeah. Um, I mean, through my dad, I listened to a ton of stuff, older stuff, a lot of America, Bob Dylan, uh, Harry Nilsson, that kind of stuff, uh, singer-songwriter. You know, I love that stuff, James Taylor. Um, but on my own, I think the first stuff I really started listening to and discovering was like Taking Back Sunday. Okay. Um, you know, Reliant K, uh, Jack's Mannequin, those, those kinds of bands. Um, and that's, you know, that's sort of why I think now I make pop rock music. It's because of that stuff, you know, being super into that and really feeling con a connection with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I still love the hip hop and the rap stuff and uh, Nelly. Nelly, I still love Nelly, you know, <laughs> some Sean Paul and all that good stuff, you know. <laughs> so I guess that stuff is my guilty pleasure. And Justin Bieber. 
that yeah. one song. That's it. Just that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, who's uh, we're all playing today again? We're at the Strip District Music Fest. We're going to be wrapping up here in a few moments. If anyone has any like sort of things they want to plug or talk about, just kind of go in a circle. Maybe we could start with Todd, I guess. Todd's in a band called uh, The Cheats. Uh, we're playing at Plantscape Warehouse, the edge of the X stage. We're playing at seven fifteen. Tell, let them know because the people on the uh, the internet, the show's going to be done. Oh. Uh, the Cheats are playing at uh, <laughs> the X stage at uh, Plantscape Warehouse at 7.15. And Fist Fight in the parking lot is going to also be on the edge of the X stage, which I had nothing to do with. Um, and that's, uh, again, Plantscape Warehouse. And I, I think we're on right before you guys at 6.30. So you can see both of us at the same time. Do it. Uh, oh, I got it. <laughs> uh, Nevada Color, uh, we're playing at 1.15 in the morning until 2 o'clock at Altar Bar. Woo! So closing out the fest, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet. <laughs> if everyone's going to be hammered and asleep and passed out by then or ready I'll to go there. still. I'll be there. I'm ready <laughs> to go. I, uh, I'm not going to. I'll tell. I'll say mine at the end. Plug the your end. stuff, man. I will at the end. I will at the end. All right. I play in World's Scariest Police Chases. We are playing at 845 at Enrico Biscotti, and there is a meet and greet right after $200. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Palermo Stone. I play uh, outside at Ulster Bar, so please bring your coats with you. Um, there will be heaters, though. I made a really hard push for that. The beats are heaters, that. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had to make a really, a really strong push for them heaters. That was a, it was a heated conversation. Um, so I, I, I tried really hard for you guys. Um, so we'll be outside the Ulster Bar. It's starting at four. I don't go on till nine. It's the uh, Daily Bread Taylor Gang. Um, set so um, some guys from Taylor Gang Chevy Woods is performing um, so it should be really really fun I didn't that camera has been live this whole time is that is that, is it? Is that what you're talking about what yeah, you said tell them that camera? Yeah. yeah I didn't is even it? know that I didn't even notice that thing I didn't <laughs> notice until you said it I was, <laughs> I'm too busy looking at all <laughs> of you <laughs> I was like, I didn't look at that thing one time. I would have been looking at it the this. whole time, like checking myself. I probably all slouched, all stupid. <laughs> That's all. I, I keep. Oh my gosh! Fix that posture. Anyhow, uh, hey everybody. <laughs> Hi mom. Yeah. Uh, Gene the werewolf said, uh, "Altar bar at I think five o'clock." Um, so, like we were saying, that's the safe place I think for the Strip District Music Festival. At least I hope. If people just want to go there, I know that place, the Biscotti Stand. Forget it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but no, for real. Uh, five, five fifteen. Gene the Werewolf at, at uh, Altar Bar. Cool. And uh, my will be playing at Twenty First Street Coffee with Sykes and the New Violence at four forty five p.m. And then I will also be playing at Altar Bar with Gray Walker at eight thirty p.m. And it's gonna be great. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to do this today. So, yeah, give yourselves a, a round of a, 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 a thanks. Uh, I, I don't even know if I should do my... I'll do the closing thing after this. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll do the intro and outro later. Go right? Steelers. Yeah. And uh, please stick around. Epicast, what's up? Yep. Mm, that's it? Yeah, okay. We did it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. It was really, really awesome getting to sit down and talk with Max 
and Dan and Palermo and Drew and Abby and Todd. It was like I've never handled a conversation like that before in my life. But I think it went really well. That was also my first live recording, which I also think, you know, it went really well. So I was stoked on it. And yeah, huge thanks to Buzzy and Nick from Epicast for setting up the audio and locking everything down at the space, making it comfy, making it look great. Huge thanks to Maggie's Farm Rum Room for letting us do that in their space. Huge, huge thanks to Josh Bakaitis for setting up the festival and letting me and the podcast be a part of it, letting both of my bands be a part of it, and just, you know, doing everything that he does for the Pittsburgh music scene. It was a really, really great time. I had a blast that day, and if you didn't get to make it out to the festival this year, please make sure that you go next year when it happens because you won't regret it. So, yeah, I think that's about all for now. I will be back again next week with another conversation. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. (laughs) What was that? I don't know. Anyways, I'm Sykes. Start the beat. 2016. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.